Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, Matthew, did you know that the male reproductive cycle is initiated by a complex interplay of hormones and stem cells at the seminiferous tubules of the testes? The subsequent mature sperm traverses a vast anatomical gymnasium comprising of the epididymis, ductus deferens, seminal vesicles, and prostate. Finally, the cycle culminates in the physiological processes of erection and ejaculation where the developed sperm together with the seminal fluid is forcefully expelled from the doodle. The what? The doodle, Matthew. You mean the penis? Oh, the, let's not be vulgar. Welcome everybody to another episode of Dr. Matt, Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. Matt and I were being a little bit silly at the beginning there. Obviously, when we start talking about reproductive cycles, male and female, it is a uh, it's a time when we uh, there's a lot of terms, there's a lot of uh, comparative anatomy, there's a lot of things that we could be silly about. History. There's a lot of history and we're not going to be too silly in all honesty. There might be some points in which we say some interesting facts, but to us, anatomy and physiology is important and interesting. And obviously, doodle is not the appropriate anatomical term. It is penis. Pip- oh. What were you going to say? Pippy. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about the male reproductive system. We're going to talk about the female reproductive system in a future podcast. But going through the male reproductive system, we're going to be going through the tract predominantly and talking about focusing on each portion of the tract and going through its function relevance. Embryology, if Matt thinks it's relevant. Of course. And comparative anatomy. Where are we going to begin, Matt? Uh, Why do we have a male reproductive system? Why does there need to be a male and female? Why can't it be the same system? Well, some animals would. Okay. Okay. Um, Essentially, just to continue life, I guess. Yeah. So, um, if you didn't 
if we didn't have a reproductive system, we wouldn't be able to put our gametes together, male mm. versus female, um, which will then fertilize and then produce offspring. Some animals can do it without That's actually what I was meaning. reproducing sexually, so asexually. Yeah. So, for example, like bees, for example, I'm quite sure bees, if a female bee does not copulate with a male, they will have offspring, but it's always going to be male offspring. So they'll right. only have female offspring if they reproduce with the opposing bee sex. Right. And I think uh, if you're talking about the queen bee, I think she would get... Beyonce, um, yes. She, now I can't say this. <laughs> oh, did I... <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't realise I stepped all over your joke. No, it wasn't supposed to be a oh. joke, but I, if I continued with the, the biological oh. um, explanation, it would sound like... Very inappropriate. Uh, uh, okay. I'll probably get sued by Beyonce. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we, we shall not continue then. So I think what we should do is just give everyone a brief overview of the male reproductive tract because overall what happens is sperm needs to be produced. The sperm contains the genetic material and then that sperm needs to be propelled through a ductal, complex... Ductal system. Yeah, a complex ductal system that moves through and, and past a number of different glands that produce fluid that help supplement, support and propel the sperm. Okay. And then that sperm obviously needs to, if it's for reproductive purposes, it needs to end up in the vagina for the females so that it can then go through another journey through to the fallopian tubes and basically, uh, well, it, what's the term that we would use? Fertilization. Fertilization. Right? So, so the system itself has got three main consistent parts. One being the gonads, which is produced in the gametes. Yep. In this case, the sperm. The ducts. So the, aren't the gametes produced in the gonads? Yeah. yeah. Isn't that what I said? No, you said the gonads, which are produced in the gametes. Oh, sorry. That's all right. Uh, yeah, so the gonads produce the gametes. Yes. Right? That's what I thought I said. Anyway. That's right. They're sex and, cells, and, right? And in the, yeah. And so in the uh, male context, this is sperm or spermatids or spermatozoa. We'll go through we'll that because there's heaps of different terms for and it. And then the other... Three, well, the third main function is endocrine being hormones. Yeah, that's right. But I think we'll probably focus more on, for the, for the male androgens, specifically testosterone, we'll focus that on a separate prog- podcast. At least its um, impact or effect on the body more yeah, so. I think it's worth doing a whole episode on testosterone. Mm. So if we want to, first if we begin with the gross external anatomy I don't mean gross as in disgusting, <laughs> which it pretty much is, but the external anatomy of the male reproductive system, it's a it's penis, scrotum. I'm glad you said it. That's that's it. Yeah. It vomited a little bit in my mouth, but no. So penis and scrotum. The internal anatomy is a little bit more complex. And so what we'll find is that the sperm is produced in the testes. Uh, from there, the sperm moves to the back of the testes, a area called the epididymis. Which means upon the testes. Does it? Or upon the, yeah, testicle. So didymus means testicle. Yeah, in Greek. Ah, okay. So whereas, it goes from the didymus to the epididymis. Yeah, whereas testes is probably from to testify. So wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So what's the Greek for testy? A testicle is didymos, didymos, or so, didymos. So when a parent says didyms... Oh, didums. Are they saying, oh, testy? Not sure. Okay. 
I don't think my parents have ever said that. No, no, no. But you hear it, didums. Maybe didums has some etymological term for testy, little testy. I don't know. Uh, and what did you say? Uh, testy actually meant itself in Latin. Uh, to bear witness. Okay. Um, to testify. Oh, this is the thought. Possibly isn't, but um, there's a lot of reference to you know legally, if you were to testify, you know, in court or something, or as a bystander. It would have some kind of degree of, of, you know, place in your hand on your nether, nether regions, yeah, as a as a means of swearing. By. Yeah, I heard that too. That it was that yeah in a uh, in Roman courts, mm. ancient Roman courts, also to, to testify. Um, yeah, uh, Babylonian as well. Hence, testify, testes testify. And I think it's even bear witness. I think there's even reference in the Bible to it. Um, below or upon the thigh. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, in, at go. least in Genesis. Okay. Interesting. Oh, Genesis. Okay. Um, Napoleon and Hitler only had one testy. All right. Let's just. So just would they have been able to bear witness in a Roman court? Not sure. I don't know if you needed two. Did Romans wear like those skirts? Skirts with no underpants. I don't know. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> part. That's an interesting question, but I don't know. Okay. Um, I know there were. I, I always thought that maybe you had where what it mean by testify is if you had no balls, oh, sorry, testes, um, you might be like a eunuch, and therefore you're not real a real man. I, you know, hence the, the only kind of person that would be acceptable in those times to bear witness. Maybe anyway. I think I think we're we're putting our slant onto <laughs> this. I don't I don't think we know. Um. Anyway, it's interesting. It is interesting. So, I think if you look at testicle is the colloquial term. And so I always thought it was just singular. No, so testicle isn't... So, like it's you not can, anatomically you, correct. You have testicular, so you can have a testicular artery or a testicular nerve or testicular vein. But when you're talking about the testes, testis or testi, T-E-S-T-I-S is singular, singular. and T-E-S-T-E-S is plural. Okay. So testes is what Matt should be saying when he's referring about mm. both testes, which Napoleon and Hitler did not have. Uh, I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if they lost it. I'm not sure what happened with them. Bicycle accident. For both of them. Maybe they bumped into each other. I don't think they existed at the same no, time. No, I don't think it's possible. Um, interestingly, I'm gonna, I've got a couple of testy facts. Um, the Japanese slang word for testy is kintama. And the symbols that you use to write it translate into golden balls. Very nice. I thought that was interesting. So that would is that like a Bond film? <laughs> I think it is. Golden balls. Um, interestingly, the left testy seems to hang lower than the right for, for most males. Uh, we don't know why, but I've just been on Twitter talking to the anatomy community trying to figure this out. Um, and there's, there's three main theories. Mm-hmm. First theory is that if you look at the the Venus return of the so testes, the left is lower. Left is lower on the majo- majority. Yeah. Okay. Seems that the Venus return from the testes, obviously they both go up, called the testicular vein, and on the left hand side, so the supposedly lower testy, the left hand side it connects up with the renal vein. Mm-hmm. On the right-hand side, it connects up with the inferior vena cava mm-hmm. at a sharp right angle. And so the left has this big, long 
testicular vein and the right has a shorter bent angular testicular vein and they think that this is the reason why because with that angle the 90 degree angle it pulls the right testy up okay Mm, it's likely that that's not the case it could also be the fact that there's a muscle that pulls the testes up we're going to talk about the temperature maintenance of the testes in a sec called the cremaster and the cremaster is actually a continuation of the abdominal muscles and so maybe it's some sort of preference between left or right abdominal muscle and this is altering the way the cremaster pulls the testy up or it could be due to and this is probably the likely theory when the testes descend after birth that maybe one descends uh, faster than another or finalizes descension before the other okay do you, want hear, do you want to hear my one? Okay, go on. Is this your theory? Uh, I um I got this theory or hypothesis from a colleague who's a surgeon but also a very good anatomist okay. slash embryologist. All right. So he believes, like what you said is entirely correct, the, the left-hand side drains into the renal vein, so it's much higher up. But as a consequence, it's thought that the hydrostatic pressure in the venous system is higher on the left, yeah. which means that its drainage is poorer, which would probably mean that its ability to regulate temperature could be less efficient. Yes. So then it may need to drop lower to be better at cooling. And you, you'll talk about why we need to cool mm. a bit later. Well, studies show that the left testy for most males is warmer. So there's okay. there's there's support to that hypothesis that you just stated, and then finally, but it doesn't explain why may why some have right testes at law. Yeah, I don't think so either. Either, but maybe just not significant enough to um, not be able to reproduce. Maybe the you, your right still does a, a good enough job to. Oh, you're saying that if the right is lower, usually that maybe you're limited to a single tester use. So maybe uh, let's just say for is this there any evidence for that. I'd, well. I don't know. But let's just say, for argument's sake, that um, what you said is correct, 30% of the population, um, it's the other way around. Mm. Let's say that that then makes that testy um, sterile. Then there's still a high possibility that the right will still compensate. Okay. But this is all you just guessing. That's just me guessing. Okay. Um, But finally, why is the hydrostatic force higher on the left-hand side? Mm. The thought is a couple of things. Um, One being um, the vein is kind of compressed between the aorta and the um, superior mesenteric artery. So that's actually called the nutcracker. Oh, uh, nutcracker syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's also the... Is there pain associated with that? Oh, I don't think so. Don't you get oh, varicosities? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you maybe could actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, the adrenal uh, adrenal gland yeah. drains into the renal uh, vein and therefore, and as we saw the testicular vein also goes into the renal on the left-hand side. So then your catecholamines, which come from your adrenal gland, could mix up with the venous side. Oh, vasoconstrict. Constrict a bit more. Okay. And the third, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. That's, pr- I think I, that's pretty good. Yeah, though, I, that's pretty good. I, I like that. I like that. Um, maybe we should just jump into talking about uh, what the testes do, shall we? What do you reckon? Yeah. I think, because I've got so many facts here, but I'll just throw those facts in when I think it's appropriate. Testes, what we find, <clears throat> excuse me, what we find with the testes is they're responsible for two main things, sperm production called spermatogenesis mm-hmm. and testosterone production, which we call steroidogenesis. Oh. That's the main function. So 
The testes are about and what's and what's the purpose of that? Steroid production or the androgen? Well, the steroids help produce the sperm. Yeah, and also uh, courting and and um, sexual behavior. Not for what do you mean with testosterone? Well, part of the reason why you would produce some of these uh, sex hormones would to promote sexual activity as well. Oh, okay, gotcha. If that makes sense. Yes. Yep. So for humans, which we're talking about at the moment, <laughs> uh, four to five centimeters in length each testy on average, uh, around about twelve to twenty grams in weight, and they're suspended in the scrotum by what's called the spermatic cord, which we'll talk about yeah. shortly. Yep. Now the scrotum itself is made up of a couple of layers, but Importantly, one of the layers has smooth muscle lining it. The, this smooth muscle is called datos muscle. All right. And the datos muscle is important because when... Scrotox. It, oh, what? As, well, a, as a comparison or, or a homologue, it's the same kind of muscle as the muscles in your face. So they're muscles kind of within skin. Like when you wrinkle your, scrunch your nose up and wrinkle your face. Yeah, so as you're all, I'm sure, aware, majority of your skeletal muscles join bone to bone, hence move bone, right? Is uh, that why it's called skeletal muscle? Yeah. <laughs> um, but there is a group of muscles which are kind of superficial muscles that uh, attach more to skin. And a, a big uh, amount in your face would be those and they give you all your facial expressions. Okay. Okay. But also another one would be the data's muscle. You know, when you look at horses or um, certain livestock, they can kind of shake their skin to get... Aciculate. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, To get like flies off. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's the same kind of muscle group. Okay. Um, Presumably we've lost all of ours besides our face and in male scrotum. And And so as you know, in the face, not saying that you've had it, but um, some people put Botox, which is paralyzing them to okay. get rid of the wrinkles. Yeah. Um, I believe there's a one called Scrotox, which also gets rid of the wrinkles. Wow. Um, to make it aesthetically more pleasing, I guess. So there's people going around with really smooth scrotums. Yeah. How often would they need to show it to people in order yeah. for it to need to be aesthetically pleasing? And then I wonder if that's then negative for sperm production. Well, the whole point of having the datos muscles is if it's... Because we haven't spoken about this. In order for the testes to produce sperm through spermatogenesis, the temperature of the testes need to be 2 to 3 degrees lower than body temperature, which is 37 degrees Celsius. That's why they hang outside the body, right? You'd think why would... And pretty much all males, all mammals, male mammals... Have testes outside the body? Yeah. Oh, okay. There's There's a few different... And there's the ability to retract and retract back yeah. into the body or at least the abdomen or the pelvic cavity and, and, and back out again. But because the temperature needs to be lower, this is ideal for that sperm production. So sitting it outside the body makes sense. However, obviously that means they're at the whim of the environment and the environment can be quite hot and can be quite cold. So we need mechanisms to maintain that 34 degrees celsius of the testes so if it's too cold outside the datos muscles can contract and wrinkle the scrotum and this maintains internal temperature of the testes if it's hot it relaxes and becomes quite pendulous and that increases pendulous is the term i read it in gray's anatomy really yeah um and like newton's pendulum let's say that and it can increase the likelihood to uh exchange heat so that's the datos muscle and so you're saying that you can have something called 
Scrotox, which well, relaxes that muscle. I, I didn't look into how many people get this done. Interestingly. Mm. Okay. You um, you didn't find any if anyone does it locally? No. Okay. No. Just, just out of interest. Um, <laughs> I, I testify I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know the word avocado means testicles in Aztec? Yeah, that's why I've asked you a number of times that you like smashed avocados. <laughs> And did you know there's a whale called the right whale who has right. uh, testes that weigh 500 kilograms? Just that, that can't be right. Just that one in particular. Yeah. 500 kilograms. No, they're both testes. Oh, sorry. Yeah, just that whale in particular. Their testes weigh half a ton. Isn't that insane? Yeah. There's over 15,000 videos listed on YouTube under the title Hitting the Balls. <laughs> <laughs> And at age 70, 73% of men are still fertile. Mm. Interesting. So, that's me just throwing in a couple of the facts there. The other thing that helps maintain temperature is that cremaster muscle. And the cremaster muscle connects to the testes through the spermatic cord, which is a cord that moves from the scrotum up through into the abdomen. Mm. Uh, it's the, the cord has this cremaster muscle. It also has arteries, veins and nerve supply there as well inside this cord and a duct oh so you're right and the and what we call the ductus deferens or the vas deferens inside to it obviously sounds like transport. a skateboarder's brand vas deferens or yeah. ductus deferens vas deferens vas deferens i'm gonna buy a belt that says vas deferens on it um and we could have made a vas deferens joke right what's the difference between the the, the testes and the the prostate vas deferens Vast difference. Oh, whatever. I'm not good at jokes. Um, you just put me straight off. I don't know what I'm talking about. All right. Spermatic cord. Yes. Okay. So the cremaster muscle actually contracts and pulls the testes up closer to the abdomen, closer to the body, and this increases or maintains temperature if it's cold, and the cremaster muscle can relax, dropping the testes down and increasing. Uh, so is that if it's super cold? Like, so if it's a little bit cold, you just have the data muscle, datos muscle that does a bit of wrinkling. But if it's really cold, like you've gone swim in, mm. um, that's, yeah, uh, it'll pull it right up. Maybe. I don't, I don't know if, if one is preferentially activated uh, at certain temperatures opposed <laughs> to another one. Uh, I'll, I'll look that up. Okay. But the cream master as a muscle is actually connected to the internal obliques of the abdominal muscles. Is it connected or just part of it? Well, it's it's an extension of it. Yeah. And the reason why, well, this isn't the reason why it's important, but it's interesting, is that there's a, a Chinese form of martial arts where one of the first things they teach them to do is retract their testes up through internal oblique contraction. Wow. So that they can protect themselves. You ever seen the footage where they get kicked in the groin? Yeah, is that? They're retracting their testes up. Well, whilst they're doing it. Whilst they're getting well, kicked. While they're getting kicked, yeah. So anyway, that just highlights that... It, Are they sterile? I don't know. I haven't asked. Didn't check. Um, Can't be good. No, I don't think... I don't know why anyone would practice that. Um, anyway, so we're going all over the place with this yeah. episode, aren't we? Sorry, everyone. Um, when we cut open the testes, God forbid, you'll find that it's made up of about 250 lobules, so these smaller segments... Uh, each of these lobules contain around about one to four convoluted tubes or ducts called seminiferous tubules. And it's these seminiferous tubules where the sperm is produced. It goes from an immature or a stem cell 
of a sperm into a mature sperm. And what we find is that if you have a look at the seminiferous tubules and you were to transversely slice into them as though you're looking into the tube, Mm -hmm. you'll find that just on the outside of the seminiferous tubules are a whole bunch of cells called Sertoli cells or sustentacular cells. Mm. And their important job is they produce something called androgen binding protein. So a protein that binds to androgen. And the main androgen, which is the male sex hormone that we're talking about is? Testosterone. That's right. The second cell type. What makes that? Oh, you're going to say that now. That's it. So just outside in the interstitium, so just outside of the seminiferous tubules, we've got Leydig cells, also known as interstitial cells, and mm. they produce testosterone. Right. And obviously that testosterone needs to bind to the androgen binding protein. It uh, minimizes it from being degraded and helps it remain active. And this testosterone with ABP helps promote the stem cells of sperm to then undergo spermatogenesis to produce active sperm cells. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. And 80% of testicular weight is made up of these seminiferous tubules. And if I were to take all of yours out right now, it's about 250 meters worth. The more joined together. Yeah. From each testis, so the whole lot done together. I think combined. Yeah, I think combined. There's about... There's 12 meters just of the epididymis. Really? Mm. That's a fair bit. Mm. So it's it's a long pathway for these sperm to take. Well, you've got a lot of sperm. How much? Oh, there's about 300 million per ejaculate, which would be a teaspoon of volume, approximately. Okay. All right. 10 to 15 mils. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot. There's a lot of sperm in that in in that small small space. Yeah. yeah. And it's the smallest cell in the body as well. The sperm. Yeah. And isn't the ovary one of the biggest? Yeah, it's the biggest. So yeah. the female germ cell is the biggest in the body and the males is the smallest. There you go. I think the ovary is about the size of a full stop on a page and a sperm you can't even see. I mean, you'd need oh. a microscope. Do you know I what think I mean? you said ovary or it, ovum. Ovum. Sorry, not the ovary. Yeah, sorry, the ovum, the mm. egg, the uh, yeah, is the sm- smallest. Oh, is the largest. But you, it looks like a full stop on a page. That's how big it is. That's how big it is. All right. Which is large for a cell. Absolutely. It's, you don't, can't usually see a cell with the naked eye. Yeah. Now, interestingly, when we, should we start talking? Because I think this is a good spot to talk about sperm production. Yeah, sure. All right. So there's a whole bunch of different words that are confusing, such as uh, spermatogonia, spermatocyte, spermatozoa, spermatid, mm. spermiogenesis, spermatogenesis. And a lot of people get confused, but it's pretty easy. So I think we can work that through, right? So generally speaking, going from a sperm stem cell, which sits just outside of the seminiferous tubules, just in the peripheral basal lamina sort of connective tissue area, you've got but these... But the inside of that. Correct. Yeah. You've got these sperm stem cells and they are the spermatogonia, okay. right? And for them to turn into a mature sperm cell, which is called spermatozoa, that takes about 64 days, right? So about two months. Now, you've got the stem cells. What needs to happen is that these spermatogonia contain all 23 pairs of chromosomes. And let's just say this is happening in me. I take one of these spermatogonia, have a look inside, it's got 23 pairs of chromosomes. And if I were to have a look, one's from mum, one's from dad, mm. right? What happens is I double up 
the quantity of those chromosomes. So I go from being haploid to diploid. So one set to two sets. Mm -hmm. So I've gone from having spermatogonia to having something called a primary spermatocyte. Okay. With doubled up DNA. It's diploid. Mm -hmm. Then what happens is you get crossover. The genetic material crosses over. And then this doubled up DNA pulls itself apart and separates into two separate cells, which are called secondary spermatocytes. These secondary spermatocytes, they divide again. And what you now have is a single chromosome within four separate cells because two have divided twice each. Mm -hmm. And these are called spermatids. And these are immature sperm cells, the spermatids that are produced. As this is happening, it's moving from the periphery of the seminiferous tubule into the center, Mm -hmm. the hollow tube of the seminiferous tubule. Because as it matures and matures and matures, it's going to go into that tube and then it's going to be transported to the next part, which is the epididymis. Then it goes from the spermatid into spermatozoa. Okay. That's where it gets the tail and that's where it matures, has the motility and all that type of stuff. So the process of going from spermatogonia to spermatotid, that's spermatogenesis. Going from spermatid to spermatozoa is spermiogenesis to produce yeah. mature sperm. And is that, that all right? And that's like a, a refinement from a round cell into a cell that looks kind of like a tadpole. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Interesting. And then it's functional. It's functional. That's yeah. right. It, it has the capacity to fertilize. Okay. So, interestingly, um, there's these immature or early or fetal Leydig cells. So, this might be, and I can't believe I'm recommending this, might be a time to talk about embryology, but through embryological development, Leydig cells, fetal Leydig cells, will produce testosterone, and then at birth, they all atrophy, they die off, and you get new Leydig cells to produce testosterone. And interestingly, one study that came out of Japan stated that uh, a two-year-old has spermatogonia, a four-year-old starts to develop spermatocytes, 11-year-olds start to develop spermatids, and then once you hit puberty, they start producing the mature spermatozoa. All right. Yeah? So the, the meiosis phases are already beginning at birth. My thought is that it's happening and then the cells are being reabsorbed back. They degrade through enzymes and reabsorbed back into the body, but it's only hitting, it's only going to a particular point. It's only, so it's, it's happening, it's happening, but then gets stopped. Okay. So I don't think it, it turns into a spermatid and then waits until they're 11 or then they hit puberty and then those produced spermatids move on. Okay. They'll continue to produce it and then they'll get degraded and recycled and then they'll continue to produce it. But it's once they hit puberty where the hypothalamus, specifically the uh, anterior pituitary gland, spits out the gonadotropins, which is follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone, which unfortunately does, doesn't help us in their name with what they do in the male reproductive cycle because they're named after what they do in the female reproductive cycle. But... Yeah. Generally speaking, follicle-stimulating hormone stimulates the Sertoli cells to produce the androgen-binding protein. Because the they're also a follicular-like cell. Yeah, that's right. A sustentacular cell. That's right. Mm. And the luteinizing hormone stimulates the Leydig cells or the interstitial cells to produce testosterone. Mm. And then this is, this, this is what happens at puberty. And then it kicks in and sperm's starting to be produced. All right, do you want to just finish off the ductal system just to get to the end? And, and you can come back and talk about, uh, you know, erection and ejaculation, but 
just to t- talk about how it moves. Oh, out did I it. not go through the system? Oh, I can't remember. Okay. Uh, you're right. So we've spent a lot of time on testes. So you want me to just quickly move through each portion? Yeah. Okay. So from the testes, we go to the epididymis. So this is how the sperm has to get out. Yes. So the sperm can be stored in that epididymis. Um, and often it's stored and starts to mature a little bit more in the epididymis. And then when it's time for ejaculation, the sperm will move from the epididymis into the vas deferens or the ductus deferens. That then moves up through, uh, turns into the, so the most distal portion of the vas deferens or ductus deferens turns into the seminiferous tubules. Um, and these seminiferous glands or seminiferous tubules. Do you mean the oh, sorry, seminal, semin- seminal, seminal gland? gland sorry. The distal portion of the vas deferens turn into the seminal gland and then that empties into the ejaculatory duct which empties into the prostate. And that's... It kind of comes through the prostate where it it comes all together into a a part of the urethra. The prostatic urethra. Which joins the secretions of the prostate. Yes, so this is where urine from the bladder enters, this is where secretions from the prostate enter, and this is where the sperm and the uh, seminal uh, fluid enters into the prostate as well, or at least into the urethra of the prostate. Then it goes from there into the urethra of the penis, and then it's ejaculated. Brilliant. Okay. So, are we moving on to the epididymis and focusing more on that? Or do you want to talk about, is there any uh, embryology you want to talk about with testes? Uh well, I could just, since you've gone through the, the main tract, I can kind of quickly just introduce how they've developed embryologically. Sure. Yeah. But I can also try to chuck in some comparative anatomy. Oh, yay. Which is always enjoyable. For, um, for one of us. <laughs> so, just a couple of side points. Starting with um, how we fertilize, because the ultimate purpose here is to fertilize the egg, right? Yeah. To to produce offspring. Yeah. So um the the animals that live in the water wouldn't really have to have a too complicated ductal system. They're <laughs> they're really just gonna put the sperm onto the eggs, which in most cases will just be in the water. But as we have evolved How do they not how do they stop it from just dispersing or well sometimes it is like diffusing. sometimes they'll just lay the eggs and then the male will come home and just kind of put the sperm on top of it and then it will just kind of I guess filter down onto the eggs fertilize it grow inside the egg wow. and then they just hatch out um, but you know there's different evolutionary things so if you want to start with the copulatory glands so these are <laughs> organs should I say these are um Developments of the cloaca, which produce a phallus-like. So, wait, so what are the? Are we talking fish? Oh, you can do any kind of vertebrate animal, even us. But yeah, particularly us. So, these so copulatory glands. Are you talking about prostate? Copulatory semi- organs, should I say? This is this is the penis. Oh, or, okay. So, um, uh, the the terms that sometimes use is intromittent organ, which is a, a development of some kind of uh, structure that promotes the fertilization to occur. So as I said, in fish, a lot of it, because it's in water, it's pretty straightforward. Um, the ductal system would just be, um, you don't have this elaborate kind of vas deferens and all that. It just kind of pops the um, the gametes straight out of the abdomen and wow. the female does the same thing and then the two um, gamete cells mix. It all happens outside the body. 
Yes, that's right. Okay. And that's wow. where in water, that's how it usually happens, right? But then some some fish will develop kind of uh, elaborate devices like fins that kind of um, put direct the sperm into the female's cloaca. Really? Yeah, so they have kind of fins on the underside. Where Cup they, it. And they kind of... Um, guide it. Guide it, yeah. I think they're called claspers. Wow. Yeah. So that's one. Um then you go into land, so then you, the early stages of, say, amphibians, uh, again, they're laying eggs like fish eggs, so they're still kind of watery. And so pretty much the the male will just kind of jump onto the female and they'll put their two cloacas together. Really? So wait, what, what's the, so what is the... So the cloaca is, is what? It's a collection of... Yeah, so it's basically a shared... Uh, Orifice. Pretty much of three main ducts, so the um, gastrointestinal end, yeah, the urinary end, yeah. and the genital end. Oh, okay. So, so in, in terms of our embryology, they poo, pee, they poo pee and copulate, correct, from the same hole. Yeah, and and that's a cloaca. That's a cloaca, which is Greek for sewage. Oh wow! <laughs> wow. Okay. Um. So I was going to say something. Now I forgot. Oh. So this is part of the reason why embryologically the um, kidneys or the urinary system develops with the genital system and we have very similar ductal systems. Hence, the urethra, um, like you explained, mm. will share sperm exit or semen exit point as well as urine. How come it doesn't for our GIT? How come our bowel doesn't share the same? Yeah, it's been separated off by a septum. I guess it's probably shown to be detrimental. So Birds have a cloaca. Yep. Fish have a cloaca. Yep. Amphibians have a cloaca. Yes. But mammals do not. Mammal, yeah, mammals I don't think they do. Okay. I'd have to check that. But moving along, so an interesting one is the salamander, which mm. is a, a lizard. And what it does is it lays, well, I shouldn't, shouldn't really say lays, what it will do is it will shoot out of okay. its cloaca. So is that a better... almost like a mushroom what yeah so it's got a stalk which is probably uh dried up uh secretions like the prosthetic secretions like coalesces like Like semen yeah but it it becomes hard wow so like a mushroom stalk and and the head of the mushroom these are called spermatophores okay and the top of it is where all the sperm sit yeah and the female will walk over the top of it and what her cloaca will go over the top of the mushroom and pinch it off. <laughs> and, and then that can sit in This is her, disturbing. This yeah. is legitimately disturbing for me. It can sit in her reproductive tract to a period of time when she's ready to release her eggs, which I think in most cases it's closer to the water. And then they'll lay the eggs in the water, but it's be, been fertilized that way. Wow. Does it, so then you go to... Uh, the mammals and the mammals have developed more of a penis-like structure, which is kind of like a midline phallus-like structure, which develops out of the cloaca, which will make sense when we talk about the uh, the embryology. Okay, but in most in all mammals, but bar humans, they actually have a bone inside, which they call the os penis or the bacula. Baculum. Yeah, bacula, baculum. That's right. Yeah. So I think it's only the humans that don't have actually a bone in the penis. Bacu- baculum? I think baculum. Okay. Yeah, it's... So it's only humans don't have the penis bone? Yeah. Well, wow. that's what I've read. Yeah. Interesting. And then in most cases, it will 
protrude out of the cloaca and then you like these terms after it's um, been erected and that's done it's what it needs to do mm-hmm. it will retract back into its sheath or retract back <laughs> back into the cloacal chamber wow are these the the terms that they use for I it? like the terms so wait there's a bone that comes out of the cloaca it's just part of that um, tissue which would be Capora cavernosa, which is a type of... Spongiform tissue. Yeah, like uh, erectile connected tissue. Yeah. Which is the same as probably in your mucosa of your nose. Yeah, but we've got it in our penis too. Correct. But where's the bone come from? Like, Yeah, there's no bone in humans. No, thanks. But aren't you just didn't you just say that a bone comes out of the cloaca? Oh, what, what I mean is like it's evolved to develop out of the cloaca. So... Uh, embryologically, um, the penis. Oh, you're talking about for us? Yeah. Okay. I thought, I thought you were still on the penis bone. And no, I, sorry, sorry. Okay. So for us, through the evolutionary process, we had a cloaca, we yep. moved away from a cloaca. Yep. With a penis that has spongiform tissue, corpus cavernosa, corpus spongiosum. Yes. This is tissue that obviously gets filled with blood, engorges with blood, and it just becomes erect tissue. Erectile yeah, tissue. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And so when you look at uh, embryologically, when you look at these structures, they've kind of come out of that region, the urogenital sinus and so forth, which is right at the bottom end of both the GIT tract and the urinary tract, mm. which was a collective uh, within the embryo, but then there's a septum that separates the the gastrointestinal hind, hindgut, so the, the rectum, and then the front urinary which will be the urethras and then the subsequent external genitalia. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But it kind of develops out of that. And that's why, you know, from a uh, congenital abnormality point of view, you might have certain things where it's gone wrong with the way it's kind of closed up. So let's say in terms of the male, on the underside of the penis, we have the arathe that kind of yeah. zips it shut. Okay. Is that what it's there for, to zip it shut? Well, that's what it's called, the rath, the rathe, which is just the skin has closed up and the dorsal. Yeah. Yeah, the dorsal side of the penis. Yeah. All the way up to the glands. Yeah. And that, so that's closed completely. But in some um, males that may be born, it could be still open to a yeah. certain degree, which would be a hypospadius. Okay. Wow, that's, it. that's interesting. And you could also have, pr- like from the tip of the penis all the way down the shaft. Yeah. That could be... Not close. That's ventral. Oh, ventral. Yeah. Dorsal's the top of the penis. Like with the foot. Yeah. It's confusing because right. you kind of you push it down. <laughs> All right, let's move on. <laughs> okay. Thank God that this is an audio podcast. Yes. And you're not seeing what I'm trying to explain. Yes. So. Um, do you want to do embryology? I thought that was embryology. No, that was comparative anatomy. Oh, crap. Sorry. Okay. Let's move do on. Do we do it very quickly? Yeah, no. Take your time. Sorry. It's only been 45 minutes and we're oh, still on the testes. I don't think it's wasn't me. I think that was all your, your strange facts. I, well, we, we, you got to go from testes. you got to move on. Testes are super important when it comes to the male reproductive system. All Embryology. Right. All right, I'll try to do it very quickly. No, no. Okay. Right. Take your time. I'll go get a cup of tea. Everyone else will uh, just fast forward around about five, ten minutes. So, <laughs> so just imagine, so this is about four to five weeks post-fertilization of the embryo. If you just were to take out, um, we'll try and explain it in terms of what the how the adult looks. If you just pulled out all your abdominal contents and mm. looked into the back wall, how would you explain that, Michael? Yeah, you'd have to what you would see. 
uh, you'd see your vertebral column. Yep. Um, and then on either side, how do you like just look like a kidneys? Gutter. A gutter. Like uh, retroperitoneal yeah, so region. Kind of like a, how would you, a concavity. Yeah. Would yeah. you say that? I, I, I think gutter explains it nicely. Yeah, okay. yeah. So in that region, you have this kind of band of tissue that runs up and down the abdomen. Yes. Okay. This is going to be the developing uh, urinary system as well as the de- developing uh, gonads. So this is five weeks post-fertilization. Yeah. Okay. So um, the urinary system will develop Separately, it's going to go through these structures called the mesonephros, okay, mesonephritic um, duct, which is this long duct that runs up up and down the vertebral column on each side, okay. Now, coming from outside that will be the developing kidney that will kind of grow up into that, and that will end up, end up being the kidney with the ureter going down to the cloaca, okay. Does that make sense so far? Well, and then we've got a cloaca. Yeah, at this point in the embry- in the embryo, we have a cloaca. So we're five weeks. We've got some gutter at the back of our body, and we've got two kidneys that are coming from where? The kidneys actually come from the pelvis, and they they will actually go up as oh, the, yeah, as the gonads go down. Okay, they swap. They swap. Yep. Does so anyone ever have kidneys in their scrotum and gonads? In their no, ad- no, no, no. W- but I think there are, there are some cases where the kidneys will fail to. Ascend yep. and the gonads will fail to descend. Right. Anyway, so on the inner part of the developing kidney, we have these two ridges called the genital ridges. Yeah. Okay. So this at this point, four to five weeks, this is just a cluster of tissue. Now your germal cells, pr- primordial germ cells, will come and migrate into those. They're going to be your future gamete cells, and they're at the same level as the kidneys. No, they get as I said, the kidneys is lower. Oh, I thought you said right next to them. They're in a in a a, a long band of tissue okay. running up and down. So the let's just say the the gonadal ridges are going to be close to the diaphragm, right at the top. All right. Okay. Now these cells will go into them, so they're going to be the undifferentiated at this point, undifferentiated um, gamete cells. All right. Now the big factor that comes in at about this fifth fourth fifth week is a sex-determining region on the Y chromosome, okay, which will tell the undifferentiated gamete cells to become testes-like. Yeah. Okay? And this is where the big differentiation will start to happen, at least in the male phenotype. So, hypothetically, I know you can't do this experiment, it's unethical, but if you were to swap that Y chromosome for an X at this point... Could you theoretically create a uh, a, a f- phenotypic female from five weeks on? Yeah, I think they've done these experiments, obviously, uh, in different animals. Um, but I think they've also found that the genital ridges that are just somatic cells, not germal cells, also play a role in the way that differentiation occurs. So, so I more think complex it, than that. Yeah. So I think if they've shown if you get the testes-like germal cells and put it into a female um, genital ridge, it will actually become female-like and then vice versa. Okay. But to answer your question, I'm not sure, but probably. So once the, um, the gamete cells have become male-like, this is where the big uh, important things start to change. So that the cells will differentiate it into three different cell types. 
the spermatogonia, which you've already spoke about. Yeah. So they're going to be the cells that will produce sperm. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're stem cells. Another group is the Sertoli cells. So which ones are they again? They're the ones that produce um, the antigen binding protein. Okay. And then the other one is the Leydig cells. They produce the testosterone. Okay. Now the Sertoli cells play the most important role at this point for the way that it masculinizes. So what will happen now is on either side of the developing gonads, which is going to be the testes, are two parallel ducts, okay? And we, we did this with the prostate, I think. But there's what we call the mesonephritic duct, which is the wolfian duct, and then the one outside that, which is the paramesonephric or the malarian. Oh, yeah. I remember okay. this is the only time I was interested in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's why you're doing it again. Well, just really quickly. <laughs> so what happens then is the outer one, the malarian one, degenerate okay and the one closest to the wolfian duct will stay there which yeah. means that that's going to be the ductal system which will be the vas deferens okay okay which is going from the testes which will then develop into the epididymis all the way through to the cloaca and the cloaca is going to be developing into the urethra right okay um and then oh, you seem a bit bored so i'll stop there no no it's <laughs> I, it's riveting i'm i'm just uh i'm engrossed I'm gross. Grossed. So, yeah. So, what I'll do is essentially we've differentiated the, the gonad into a testy-like structure and we've basically got rid of the malarian duct. The way that the malarian duct essentially stops is that the Sertoli cells will secrete a inhibiting substance called the malarian inhibiting substance, yep. which will basically degenerate the malarian duct completely. Okay? Whereas the... Um, the Leydig cells will kind of move to more dominate the Wolfian duct. Very good. All right, so I'll just finish here. What has to happen now is the testy has to descend into the scrotum, okay? And that this happens in kind of three phases. Do you want me to go through Oh, this? I can't wait. No, <laughs> yes, it's going to be great. Okay. Everyone prepare three phases of testy descent. All right. So as you've said correctly, the uh, testy will develop alongside the kidney. That's why they have these shared ductal systems. Yeah. Okay. So they are intra-abdominal at this point. Okay. And they're retroperitoneal. So well, ha- when are we embryologically? Again, you c- it doesn't really matter, but we'll say 10th week. Okay. If you want to do the start of the descent. All right. Okay. So it's behind all the peritoneum yeah. with the kidneys. All right. Kidneys are coming up. The gonads have to go down. Right. Okay, but the first thing you just got to be aware of is the testes, in this case, is going to have two ligaments joined to it, one that's joined almost to the top of the diaphragm and one that's going downwards kind of towards the scrotum. Okay? Really? Yeah. Two ligaments? Two ligaments. One connecting up, one connecting down. Yeah, and so this is, for the female, those ligaments become uh, important for the uh, ovarian ligaments. Okay, so you have the suspensory ligament oh, yeah, of the yeah. ovary yeah, yeah. and then the round ligament. That's going to be what those two ligaments are in the female. But for the male, what it will become is the, the superior one or the cranial one will degenerate completely. That's the first step of how it descends. And the second one becomes the gubernaculum. I like that word. Favorite, my favorite word in anatomy is gubernaculum. So at this step one, which is about the 10th to 14th week, um, the, the high amounts of testosterone will get rid of the, the superior ligament and only the gubernaculum will stay in, in play. Yeah. Okay. Now, from about the 15th to the, about the 36th week, this is step two of the descent, which is the transabdominal descent. 
which basically brings the testes all the way the down. Trans abdominal descent sounds like a, a, a train that would go through Russia. All the way through to the uh, inguinal ring, which is about the point where you need to get the uh, out of the abdomen into the scrotum. The okay. inguinal ring. Yeah. Okay. Which becomes important for uh, hernias. Oh, okay. okay. And the, the important player here to cause this transabdominal descent is the Leydig cells. And then finally, step three, which is about two to three weeks before birth. This is where you have to give the transinguinal descent. So it pushes the testes through the inguinal canal Ooh. until it pops through into the scrotum. Wow. And then once birth, it's just sitting kind of on either side of the scrotum. Wow. And then I guess it descends further from that. And as I think Aristotle thought, uh, it was connected to the vocal cords. Yeah, so the deeper your voice, the lower your, your, your testes. That's right. That's interesting. Well, and the, the and when you got kicked in the ball, kicked in the balls, your voice goes high. Apparently, oh, when, I wonder why they think that. Well, when you cut them off, um, you just oh yeah, you remain like be, a nice high pitch. Um, yes, but also they said that if you were to castrate, castrate a castrate? Um, castrati, castrati, yeah, but because they're castrated, but the castratis <laughs> maintain their beautiful high pitch voice, but. Aristotle also said that if you cut the testes off an animal, uh, you feminize it and it becomes female. Oh, okay. He so was that's, wrong. That's incorrect. He was wrong. Yeah. Um, so, that's um, all that's pretty, um, it's something, all right, what you said. It's, um, so, that's how the, the, the masculinized effect occurs right. embryologically. And so that's why you have all the ductal systems and the testes and the scrotum, which is just a... Skin pouch. Skin pouch. All right. That's a good way of describing it. So we can now move on to... The, to the boring stuff, yeah. To, <laughs> to now that sperm has been produced. We spoke about that process. So, uh, the sperm's now into the seminiferous tubules and the seminiferous tubules all coalesce and come together. Is it the reet or reti? Reti. Reti, which basically is the first part going from the testes to the head of the epididymis. And so the epididymis, like we were saying before, uh, you get the head of the epididymis, the body of the epi- and the body of the epididymis and the tail of the epididymis. And the sperm can sit here for a little while. Uh, if no ejaculation occurs, it's going to be degraded and reabsorbed. But if ejaculation occurs, it's then going to move from the epididymis into the tube, which is next, which is the vas deferens, also known as the ductus deferens. And that's, what did you say? 30 centimeters long, the vas deferens? No, I was talking about epididymis. Oh, the epididymis. So the vas deferens is about 30 centimeters long, two to three millimeters in diameter. And it takes the sperm, its whole job, the vas deferens, is to take sperm from the epididymis to the urethra, basically. Mm. So I think this is probably the good point to talk about the spermatic cord because now we're going from essentially outside the body to inside the body because the vas deferens moves from the testes up, like you said, through the spermatic cord, through that inguinal canal to the rest of the reproductive tract. So when we look at the spermatic cord, it contains the vas deferens, it contains the testicular artery and other arteries, the pampiniform plexus, which we didn't talk about. We've got to talk about that because we are talking about heat maintenance, right, for the testes. And we said you got the, um, the datos muscles to wrinkle the scrotum, the cremaster muscles to pull the scrotum 
toward or away from the abdomen. But we've also got the pampiniform plexus, which is the venous system. So obviously, blood going to the testes is going to be body temperature, 37 degrees. And the testes need to be 34 degrees. So in order to maintain that lower temperature, they've developed these this venous system that wraps around the arterial supply called a plexus, which just means braiding, and it's in such intimate contact that it's just the wall of the vessel that separates the two uh, artery and vein from each other, and heat and even some other molecules can be transferred between each other. And so heat from the artery gets transported to the vein, the pampiniform plexus, to take it away before it even reaches the testy. So that's pretty important. So inside the spermatic cord, we've obviously got that papiniform plexus and nerves and lymph. So there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. And there's three layers to that spermatic cord. So you've got the internal layer, which is this trans, transversus, trans, transversalis fascia, which is connective tissue that lies between the transverse abdominis and the per, parietal peritoneum. You've got the cremaster muscle, which like I said, is an extension of the internal obliques. And you've got the external fascia um, which covers basically the external obliques and the reason why is because embryologically it had to come out of the abdominal cavity so it's pulling all this yeah, tissue down that's right so it's pulling internal obliques so if you had a golf ball in your abdominal cavity and you yeah. try to pull it out from the outside yeah every bit of structure that you pull with it it's going to be the same gotcha and so that's why that's why there you go and that's why you have um the weaknesses for hernias. So you can have a direct hernia and indirect hernia. And it's to do with uh, close association with a ring because that's a weakness point. And so some hernias for men can go into the scrotum. Yes, so I I, I don't I can't remember if this was a friend of mine or who I saw that had this, but they had uh, a inguinal hernia. And throughout the day, their testes would get, the scrotum would get huge. And they didn't know why. And they would be in a bit of pain. And then they'd go to bed and wake up in the morning and their, test, their scrotum was normal size. They go, oh, this is weird. And then they'd go on with their day and it gets bigger again. And then they found out, obviously, they had a hernia. And a herniation is simply when... Were, one, they, a, were they a chipmunk? A chipmunk? Well, chipmunks, some species of bats and some species of primates. Yeah. Um, during the breeding season, they're... Um, testes will come down oh. in the into the scrotum during the breeding season. Where are they every other time? Abdominal. Oh, there you go. No, so this was actually their intestines that had fallen oh. through into the scrotum. Yeah, and so as they were standing up, gravity would pull it down. Then they would lay down at night time. The muscle would contract. Bring it back up. Bring itself back up. And then it all starts all over again. So they had to mesh it up and sew it up. Um, mm. Anyway... So we've moved from the epididymis to the vas deferens. We're going from the vas deferens, moves through that spermatic cord, and it goes up and connects in with what's called the ejaculatory ducts, which basically the most uh, distal portion of the vas deferens or ductus deferens is the seminal vesicle, which is a gland that produces a fluid called seminal fluid. And so this seminal fluid, um, or at least with the seminal vesicles themselves, they're about 5 to 10 centimetres, pretty big. Um, hold about 13 mils of fluid, which is a fair bit. That's the majority of semen. That's right. Two-thirds of semen comes from these seminal vesicles. So where are they located? They're located at the base of the prostate between the bladder and the rectum. 
does that help you picture where it sits? Yep. And so vas deferens connects in with the seminal vesicles and then the duct from that is called the ejaculatory duct and that then enters into the prostate. And we've done a whole episode on the prostate, mm. so we don't really need to focus on that. We know it produces prostatic fluid and this fluid helps support the life of the sperm. Now, interestingly, with the seminal vesicles, it also contains a whole bunch of fluid that helps support the sperm, helps support metabolic processes and keep it alive during its arduous journey, not just through its own reproductive tract, but the female reproductive tract. So it contains fructose. Uh, it contains... Is it the majority? I think a lot of it is, yeah. Fructose because sperm only Energy. survives with from fructose. So eat your fruit, gentlemen. Prostaglandins has a neutral to alkaline pH and has a whole bunch of coagulatory proteins to congeal it, make it thicker. That's probably what makes the mushroom stalk in the salamanders. Oh, no more of that, thanks. And then from the prostatic uh, uh, urethra. urethra, we're going now into the penis, which is the final... Uh, area of the male reproductive tract to talk about. I'm glad you could say penis. Yes. Um, I'm getting, look, for somebody who's been lecturing anatomy and physio- physiology for a number of years, I probably should be able to say that word comfortably. And we all know that it's a joke. Obviously, I use the appropriate terminology when I do the lectures. Penis means tail. Does it? Yeah. It's at the wrong side. Pez. Well, you have... Um, so a Pez dispenser... Yeah, well, pez is the the root word. Um, you the root ha- word? The root word. You do have an eight-tailed frog that... Um, Has eight penises. Just got one penis. Oh. But, but the reason why... Well, in most cases, frogs will just jump on the back and release it cloaca on cloaca. But this tail frog, yeah. it lives in fast-flowing uh, water. Okay. So it needs to develop this um, phallus to... Eight of them. Put it into the... Um, Cloaca or the female. I don't get it. Well, that's the the tail. The tail is penis. Uh, penis means tail. I don't get So, there's a frog that has eight tails. No, I didn't say eight. I just said a, a tail. It's called an a-tail frog. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And you know what, actually, I read just now, before I came today, Yeah. Um, before <laughs> um, was there was there's a uh, angler fish. This yep. is, that's the one of... Is this one of finding Nemo, Nemo with the, the light? Bio, yeah, that, yeah, the that, bioluminescent yeah. light over the top yeah. and the big sharp teeth. Yeah. So when these fish mate, this is an All right, mate. This is an interesting <laughs> one. Um, as we know, fish put cloaca to cloaca. Yes. But what happens is as the secretions occur, um, the two cloacas uh, join. Uh, Anastomosize. Yeah. Um, permanently. Oh. And blood vessels can go between. What? Um, the the male will essentially kind of degenerate pretty much. Wow. So a lot of its body would degenerate and it just kind of hangs off what? the female as this like little parasite. And all it then does for the rest of its life is just fertilize, fertilize the eggs. Oh, wow. How's that for an existence? Yeah. Ooh, that's, that's an anglerfish. That's the true definition of a parasite. That, true. As a husband. I think husband full stop is a parasite. Tell you what, that's me. My wife is does everything. She's a legend. She's the best. Um, I think she would probably agree that I'm a parasite, to be honest. Um, so, the penis. Uh, it is made up of three erectile columns, right? 
along the shaft of the penis. You've got the root of the penis, the shaft of the penis, and the head or the, the bulb or the glands of the penis. Yep. You've got these suspensory ligaments that anchor... What, the are, the, what are those... What are those called? What? The the columns? Yeah. Okay, so you've got two on the dorsum or, or you could potentially say the top of the penis. If we're, look, if we're talking about a flaccid penis, the top of the penis has two called the cavernos, uh, the corpus cavernosum. Corpora cavernosum, yep. Plural, so, corpora cavernosum, yep, but individual corpus cavernosum. So I think all mammals have those. Yep, so they're next to each other. They're on yeah. top. And then underneath that, along the ventral aspect or the bo- underneath the penis... <laughs> <laughs> probably should be doing uh, hand gestures here, is the corpus spongiosum. Which I think only humans have. Which, oh, okay. Which goes the length of the urethra to keep it open. Yes, and it, it, and it is this corpus spongiosum that actually expands to turn into the bulb of the penis or the glands of the penis, which is the head oh, of the, the end. penis. Yes. Okay. That, that's which all, is a homologue to the uh, uh, clitoris for the female. So does the clitoris have corpus spongiosum tissue? I'm not sure. Okay. But We'll glands. find out for the next. Do the gl- does the glands have the spongio- spongiosus tissue? That's all it is. Oh, that's yeah, that's all it is. It's, it's corpus spongiosum. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the the basically you've got these suspensory ligaments that anchor the penis to the pubic symphysis, and the I think surgically some people get that cut to lengthen the penis. Really? Yeah. Wouldn't it create an instability of the penis? Not sure. Like, please uh, fact check that. But I remember in my undergraduate. Someone told me that that's wow. what's done. Okay. Yeah. Um, the corpus cavernosum, the two on top yeah. that, are, that are sitting next to each other, so they diverge at the base of the penis um, and, and they anchor themselves into the ischiopubic rami, yeah. which is the, the lowest portion of the pubis, right? Or the pelvis. Yeah, the, oh, the, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right? Pretty much the lowest por- portion of the pubic bone. Is that right? I think uh, that's right. Keep going. Okay. Um, so basically the corpus spongiosum expands at the end, like I said, to form the bulbous glans penis, uh, and that glans penis is covered by the retract- retractable foreskin or the prep- pre- prepus. Or the retractable sheath. Or the retractable sheath, you could say. <laughs> any, any way, any way, I suppose. Um, there's a whole bunch of arteries that pretty much come off the pedendal. Um, so you got the arteries and the sensory nerves. So you got the internal iliac artery, which then branches into the internal pedendal, and then there's heaps of various arteries coming off. The arteries are important to discuss because this is what leads to uh, erection. What we're going to find as well for innovation, there's huge amounts of sensory nerves mm. because obviously sexual stimulation is what triggers erection to occur. And so this sensory uh, innovation is coming from the pedendal nerve so the way to remember pedendal artery and pedendal nerve for sensory when we look at innovation sympathetic parasympathetic when it comes to uh, erection and ejaculation so are we right to talk about that now yep very quickly okay so erection um we've spoken about it before but point and shoot is how we remember this point p parasympathetic that means erection shoot ejaculation s sympathetic nervous system so when we look at erection the erection is going to be parasympathetic nervous system sexual stimulation through touch even psychological sexual stimulation or thought and relaxation of the smooth muscle leads to stimulation of the parasympathetic nervous system which leads to a release of nitric oxide 
vasodilates the vasculature of the penis and blood begins to engorge the corpus cavernosum and the corpus spongiosum. The more blood that enters, the more engorged it becomes and it actually occludes or blocks the outgoing veins. It compresses them to a point where the blood can't drain. Then when it comes to ejaculation, you've got the ejaculatory process uh, or ejaculation and emission Right, so emission is the transmission of seminal fluid from the vas deferens and prostate and seminal vesicles into the prostatic urethra. So this is just pushing all those contents through. That's that's emission. It's basically pushing everything up in to the to the base of the penis. So would the sympathetic be doing this, or the parasympathetic is kind of already it's push it along? It, no, no, it's it's sympathetic and somatic. So it's both not parasympathetic. So parasympathetic is purely just for the erection. Correct. But what needs to happen for the ejaculation is the neck of the bladder needs to close. Okay. So that needs to constrict because obviously at the prostatic urethra where all this fluid is starting to culminate, you could have retrograde movement into the bladder. We don't want that to happen. Mm. We want the semen to go out of the penis, not into the bladder. So it constricts. And that's sympathetic, quite sure. Um, And then once all this happens, you've got the smooth muscle of the urethra contracting and you get forceful ejaculation all right and so the combination of things like the the ductal secretions yep. so the seminal the prostate the bubble urethral secretions yep which all adds to the semen comes from sympathetic yes as and so the somatic is kind of to contract the muscles to uh, assist the actual um that's correct What's the correct ejaculation? Ejaculation, yeah. So the ejaculation is kind of somatic and sympathetic. Yes. And then shortly thereafter, you go into kind of a latent phase or something. Yeah, refractory period. Where then everything kind of stops. Yep, settles down a bit. And it goes back to... Flaccid. That's right. Back to the cloacal um, chamber. Maybe not. Maybe not that. All right. Uh, Look... um, Oh, thank you. Yes, I think we did do a good job of that. Uh, may have started off a bit slow considering we spoke about a whole bunch of stuff going left, right, up, down, all over the place. But uh, I think we covered a lot of the male reproductive tract and function and had a whole bunch of facts there. I think I threw out most of them. Um, did you know mouse sperm is bigger than elephant sperm? Let's just leave it there. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Matt. Did you know that m- mice have a muscular scrotum? Well, so do we. How muscular? Like well, it, it kind of curls? it doesn't hang down like humans. It's kind of just sitting halfway between. I bet you I could bench press more than it. <laughs> okay, thanks, so mate. Next next podcast: testosterone or female? No, let's do testosterone. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye bye. Bye bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 